Welcome to the Flight Safety Detectives. Hosts John Golia and Greg Fife, two of the world's most respected aviation safety experts, talk all things related to aviation and aerospace. This podcast and the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel are brought to you by the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, PAMA, and Avemco Insurance, a world-class provider of aviation insurance and your one-stop for all general aviation insurance needs. Get a customized quote at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-879-0389. Tell them you're a listener of the show and receive a 5% discount. Now it's time to buckle up because it's wheels up for the latest episode of Flight Safety Detectives. Well, hello, gentlemen. It's another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. We got an interesting accident today um, involving a Cessna 208 caravan, which was on an IFR flight plan, a cargo hauler, colliding with an unlikely suspect, that is a motor glider. And of course, this raises a lot of questions that we're gonna talk about. The NTSB file is incomplete right now because it's a recent accident. And so there are a lot of things that the board's gonna have to investigate along with the FAA. And even though unfortunately both pilots paid the ultimate price, um, there are still lessons to be learned for folks not only flying certified fixed wing aircraft or home built and things like that, that are uh, talking to air traffic control and are working in uh, protected airspace and, and in two-way communication. But uh, of course you have paragliders, you have hang gliders, you got these motor gliders and these guys are supposed to be abiding by similar regulations. However, in this particular instance, it's gonna be evident and obvious that uh, one of them which is the motor glider, the pilot was at an altitude that he shouldn't have been at. You know what, this, as I read this report, Greg, one of the things that jumped into my mind was Pinnacle Airlines. Remember, we had two fairly young pilots that were flying an airplane uh, back to main base, no passengers on board, and they decided they wanted to take it up to 41,000 feet, which is an altitude that most pilots never get to see. And they went up there and they had, uh, they actually uh, locked up their engines, uh, aerodynamically locked up their engines, lost thrust, and uh, came down and killed themselves. The engines flamed out and they couldn't relight them and they killed themselves. Uh, and, it, you know, nobody could get in the heads of those two guys. Why did they do something that, that risky? But they did it. And here we have an example of an individual. Uh, that's doing things that is extremely risky. And, you know, why would someone want to do that? Does he want to set his own altitude record, uh, personal altitude record? Maybe it's more than personal. But, I mean, this is crazy. Well, of course, you know, this is uh, this motor glider pilot was technically operating under Part 103. And uh, Part 103, of course, is split up into a couple of, of uh, segments, one for powered ultralight type vehicles and one for unpowered. And given the fact that uh, this apparently was a motor glider, it's a, it's a powered vehicle, the guy gets to 5,000 feet. Where this accident happened was in, in an area of 
a lot of traffic. It's near the Houston area. So, of course, you have a lot of jet traffic coming and going out of a variety of different airports there, as well as turboprop and other general aviation aircraft. And even though when you look on a sectional chart, it may be a no man's land and some of it could be Class E airspace, which is, you know, from the ground up uh, to about 700 plus feet in, in specific areas. When you look at the overlying airspace and this guy's up at 5,000 feet, you got a controller who's trying to control uh, IFR traffic. He puts this caravan, uh, caravan pilot on a route. Um, he's talking to him. Caravan pilot wants higher altitude, not because he knew that there was something going on. It was just that that was what his filed altitude was. The controller held him at 5,000 feet saying expect higher later. And uh, next thing you know, that was the last communication because uh, the controller sees the airplane heading down at about 9,000 feet per minute when it reached its, uh, its final descent rate. Couldn't contact him. And, and one of the big things, Todd, that I know that uh, you've looked at in this accident, of course, is the air traffic controller and what he could or could not see, what he knew was in his airspace and what he didn't know. And those are the kinds of questions that are going to have to be answered by the NTSB. And again, as I said at the beginning, even though both pilots paid the price, there are lessons to be learned and there's got to be information that's reiterated and recommunicated to not only, you know, the, the certificated pilots flying certificated aircraft or experimentals or whatever, but there has to be an emphasis back into the ultralight uh, part 103 community. And speaking of uh, the role of air traffic control, they need technological help to see most aircraft. You need the transponder. You need something to broadcast out their presence, ADSB out, whatever the case may be. One of the reasons why you drone pilots out there, and I'm a commercial drone pilot, you can only draw, uh, fly it in unregulated airspace fairly low to the ground because right now, most of them aren't required to have any kind of device that helps air traffic control see them. And for those of you who uh, think, oh, heck, my drone can go up to 3,000 feet. What the heck? Let me see what it feels like. Well, it's a hazard of traffic for this very same reason. If air traffic control can't see you, they can't route traffic around you. If they can't route traffic around you, it's an unacceptable risk. And in this case, it was truly a risk. And again, with a caravan pilot or any other pilot who's flying at 5,000 feet, you're not, you know, yeah, you're visually scanning the air. Um, and most likely he's got a fish finder in the airplane. That is, it's, uh, he's going to be able to see other traffic based on his ADSB. And, um, and so he's looking for that kind of traffic, whether it's in the cockpit and then looking out the window. But the last thing he's looking for is some guy in a motor glider up at 5,000 feet. He's not scanning the skies for that. And even if he could see it, which I doubt he could, um, things were going to happen real quick, and there would have probably been no possibility to take evasive action. Now, just imagine, if you will, if you're on the ground looking at, at a paraglider of some sort, it's like, oh, I can see this you know, rectangular para, parasail or whatever. You're not looking at it from the ground up. You're looking at it at, at level. You're looking edge on on the paraglider uh, and on the, the person hanging underneath. And at a half mile or a mile, especially if you have any kind of background, cloud, haze, whatever, it's going to be very indistinct. And once you see it, it's like, okay, is this thing actually coming at me? Do I have to do an evasive maneuver? Guess what? Most pilots never get to see something coming at them head on. 
So it's hard to judge whether you should or should not. And I don't know what the cargo pilot was thinking, but one of the thought processes might be, I think I'll miss this thing, whatever the heck it is, bird, plane, Superman, or whatever. Well, obviously he didn't. Well, he didn't even know it was there. And, and again, unless you have some sort of visual acuity, which I don't think he did, um, you know, he was just motoring along, fat, dumb, and happy. The airplane was probably on autopilot. He's doing other duties. I mean, there are checklists to be, uh, to be run as soon as he gets to cruise altitude, um, even if it is a temporary cruise altitude. He may be heads down. He may be reprogramming an FMS or looking at his iPad, uh, you know, looking at routing or whatever. So there are a variety of things that, of course, um, no fault of his own are going to take him from sitting there scanning the skies for not only just regular aircraft, but of course, somebody in a powered parachute, if you will. And so um, these are the kinds of things that pilots really have to understand that even though you think you're protected, whether you're on an IFR flight plan or VFR and you're talking with uh, air traffic control and flight following, um, especially in VFR conditions, you, you can't assume that you're protected. And I've done a number of accidents. And every time we have a midair where you got two airplanes talking to air traffic control and they still run together, that just reemphasizes the point that you cannot put all that tacit trust into a guy on the ground looking at a radar screen. Because in this case, where you have a motorized glider that has no ADSB, has no transponder, the guy's lollygagging up there at 5,000 feet. He's not visible to anybody except to the naked eye. And by the time that pilot maybe would have had a chance to see him, um, if he knew where to look and, and was really scanning for him, uh, it's probably going to be too late. Comes up fast. Yeah, well, it's just it's ridiculous that you get a guy up there, like you said, John, what the hell is he doing up there? Um, you know, is he trying to set an altitude record? Is he personally just doing this? Um, it may be. <laughs> It would be interesting to find out his background to see how many times he's done this in the past and got away with it. Um, well, I, I did a little bit of research on his social media profile, the uh, paraglider pilot, and there was not much about paragliding. Uh, a beekeeping website, so apparently he was a professional uh, uh, beekeeper and uh, that sort of thing. But as far as his uh, aviation experience or aviation background or aviation intent, I couldn't find anything. And again, well, it, the NTSB might have something in the investigation, but nothing is available to the public so far. Yeah. And I think that the board and the FAA will be looking at that just to see if there was any kind of violation action in the past, which I would expect them to look at as well. Just because this, you know, if this was a trend, if this was a systemic problem and it wasn't cured, then that too is an issue. And again, these two pilots, unfortunately, especially the caravan pilot, uh, who is the innocent pilot in this particular regard, um, these two pilots paid the ultimate price, but there are lessons to be learned. And unless those lessons are, are, are published in not only the final report, but put out a safety alerts or the FAA puts out a, a bulletin to the FISDO offices to have this information reiterated into the 103 community, then these two people have died for naught. And, and again, every accident, as simple as it may be, as benign as it may be in the annals of the NTSB's historic accident investigation uh, history, the fact is, is that you had two lives lost, but there are lessons to be learned and it has to be used to, to push these messages forward that you just don't do 
what this guy did as far as just motor gliding up to 5,000 feet and dilly-dallying around and controlled airspace. You know, One of the positive things about uh, aviation in the U.S. is that uh, there's a wide latitude in what's allowed in the sky. Uh, you don't have to have a sophisticated aircraft. You don't have to have a full pilot's license to legally fly. And the equipment that's out there, be it aircraft or drones or whatnot, is often uh, better than the restrictions that are on that aircraft. I mean, drone I have in the back of my office here, they're restricted to 400 feet AGL. They can fly way higher than 400 feet AGL. In fact, it would be very easy for me to violate the regulations any day of the week I feel like it. And that's the thing. It's up to the judgment of the people around that aircraft, no matter what kind of aircraft it is. That's why we have the certificate. That's why they take the test uh, to tell them the rules. And, you know, you're supposed to be of a, of a fine moral character, so you're going to abide by those rules, even though, even though there's no way of... Uh, of uh, uh, enforcing that, you're supposed yeah. to. It, it, you always say, Greg, it's you voluntarily comply with the rules. But I wonder, you know, one thing we didn't talk about here is peer pressure, and I hope that the NTSB or the FAA questions other people in this area, maybe a club or something that he belongs to, you know, because sometimes they they'll have one person that do, did that stupid thing to go to five thousand feet. And then we have, uh, you know, two, three, four others in the, the same circle of friends that want to do it as well. And, yeah. you know, maybe we got some competition going on to see how high you can go in, uh, uh, you know, with all the negativity that goes with that. Now, for you parents out there who might be shaking your finger at your children for doing these TikTok challenges to do all sorts of crazy things, because somebody over here on the other side of the country says, hey, let's all do this crazy thing. It's not just kids on TikTok. It's adults with aircraft. It's been happening probably since the days of the Wright brothers. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and the other thing is, is when you think about, well, it's just a powered parachute. It's just this. It's not really stout. It doesn't have, you know, uh, a lot of structure to it. Well, when this collision happened, it took off the right wing on that Cessna caravan. So the impact itself um, was had sufficient force and energy behind it to significantly take a good chunk of that right wing off that caravan, which of course led to the airplane being uncontrollable and uh, basically descending straight down. So um, again, these are the kinds of things that you, you're always gotta be cognizant of. We get a little complacent when we get up to cruise altitude. Um, and of course we're doing all the other pilot stuff we gotta do. And yeah, again, you're not expecting a hang glider or a lawn chair with balloons or anything else being up at that altitude. Um, we all recall the guy with the balloons on a parish on a uh, on a lawn chair that went up to 17,000 feet, you know, and 727s were dodging him. So, um, again, there are these crazy folks out there or these guys that want to try and prove something or show off or whatever the case may be. You just can never assume as a pilot that there isn't going to be some sort of strange event that you're going to encounter, that you're going to have to have at least a presence of mind to take some corrective action, or you're going to end up paying the ultimate price. And for those of you, you left out the Los Angeles rocket man or whatever he is. <laughs> yeah, the rocket man, right? This is, this is like a few weeks ago, a few months ago, where 
Well, I think it's an inflatable dummy, not an actual person. But this is like at several thousand feet in the LA area. Airliners were like, you know, reporting this air traffic control. And whatever it was, even if it was a model with some a couple of ducted fans or whatever, airliners are required to withstand, what's the maximum, John? Because we've done this for years. An eight-pound strike of a bird on, let's say, the empennage. Well, a person in a paraglider or even somebody in a, you know, a balloon outfit, 10, 15, 20-pound uh, drone rig, that's above eight pounds. It could strike an airliner, be a golden BB, and take that thing straight out. So just because you think, oh, it can't be that big, it's not going to do much. Yes, it can. I had a two-pound duck damn near take a Convair 580 out of the sky when it went through the windshield and, um, and incapacitated the captain because it hit him square in the face. So, again, it's the little things that will hurt you or kill you, not the big things. And, um, and there are a lot of lessons. We're going to have a link on our website to the prelim because, again, the final isn't out, the docket isn't open yet, but it'll be interesting to see how far the NTSB takes this investigation, looking at airspace, looking at the, the rules and the regulations, and see what kind of safety promotion they put out as a result of this type of investigation. Hopefully it won't be just one of those failed to see and avoid and write it off and move on because it's more than that. And the level of uh, interesting and perhaps unwise things that are done in the air is limited only by human imagination. For example, you have this uh, tradition around the world, not tradition or a new thing in the last few years of these folks with wingsuits flying around, which looks very cool and all that nice videos. But instead of someone skydiving and you think they would be falling more or less ballistically, they could be gliding several miles this way or that. Then there are the very expensive, although they do exist, these are, you know, miniature wings with jet engines on them where a flying suit, somebody's flying like Superman around. You know, you've seen these promotional videos of flying next to A380s over in Dubai or whatever. Well, if that technology exists there, that technology could exist here. And in the hands of someone who is unwise or not very bright, it can be very dangerous. Yeah. Well, again, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, we'll follow it. And, um, and again, the link will be on our website so you can follow it um, as listeners and viewers. Um, and we appreciate your feedback. So, uh, again, tell us uh, what you think. And, uh, and when this accident uh, report finally comes out, we always appreciate the comments. I've worked. Um, on several events in the, uh, in the hang glider, paraglider arena, uh, just recently, as a matter of fact, last year, where I had two hang gliding pilots um, collide in flight. One was trying to overtake the other one. And again, when you think about it, it's just two kites. It's just this, it's just that. The problem is, is that there are still rules. There are overtaking and right away rules and things like that. And, and so you still have to abide by the rules, whether they are federally enforced or their association enforced through the USHPA and, and organizations like that. So you don't just go out there and occupy airspace uh, without having one, some you know, prowess behind you as far as knowledge of airspace, what you're going to do, where you're going to, you can't operate over congested areas and things like that. I mean, it, you know, this is just logic. This is this is, just, this is just using plain, simple logic. And, and so uh, it'll be interesting to see where the board goes. Well, gentlemen, uh, uh, as you can see from my virtual background, whether I'm, of course, in a, uh, another undisclosed 
um, location. But uh, those of you who fly and you fly on the western part of the United States, you'll probably recognize that little mountain right behind me. Um, I'm up in Oregon right now uh, doing a lot of work that I'm going to talk about uh, in future shows. But uh, I ended up filming till about 1 a.m. in the morning, and I'm going to be doing that again tonight. Um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of good work for uh, the company. I'm doing some uh, some promos for, but it also is uh, is going to be interesting because when we start talking about this particular aircraft um, and the design philosophy and methodologies that went into it, um, I think uh, it's it's a real benefit to aviation and aviation safety. So I'll be traveling the next few days and. Uh, and of course, hopefully my camera will get a little better because I look like I'm in the middle of a sunset on this mountain, you know, with this, uh, this orange color. So, <laughs> but it's all right. Well, good. Well, it's always good to see you guys. And uh, I, I know that you'll carry on even if I'm not available, but uh, uh, we always appreciate the, the viewers. We've gotten some great feedback recently and i know that you guys have talked about some of that feedback on a show without me as usual um but uh we do appreciate the the feedback we are getting and um of course today uh that we record this show is about mh370 the missing triple seven and we are in uh, contact right now with uh, a colleague over in australia who has done a lot of work on MH370 since the event. And um, I'm reaching out to him right now to see if we can get him on the show. And uh, I think that will be of real interest to uh, the viewers and listeners because he has been dogging this thing since day one. Um, he has been very outspoken uh, as well as a pilot group that he represents out in, uh, in Australia. He's a very accomplished 777 pilot. Uh, just a, a great gentleman. John and I uh, spent some time with him, and um, I think he'll he'll really be interesting when he starts bringing out a lot of the information that seems to be behind the curtain. It's the backstory that no one's heard, and uh, and I think that's going to be a great show once I get him uh, get him all wired up. So, always good to see you, boys. Um, and uh, I know Todd. Before I give John our last word. You get the second to the last word. Well, as someone who has uh, uh, trying to get back into aviation as a pilot, I can understand the excitement that pilots have to try out new things. But that excitement, as this show has shown, has to be tempered by understanding what you're doing and why you're doing it. Understanding that you're not out there alone. Understanding that there is a system, love it or hate it, you have to deal with it. And if you don't deal with it correctly, you can hurt yourself or someone else. Yes, and I, I'd like to remind everybody that this show is brought to you by Avemco Insurance, and recently there's been a lot of discussion uh, on all the chat rooms about renter's insurance and liability because uh, you have rented an airplane, and oftentimes, and I did it, you assume that the coverage comes from the person you rent the airplane from, and that's not necessarily the case, so... There's rental insurance available. Avenco has it. If you're going to be flying, building time, you ought to be independently insured, you know, and make sure that uh, it might even actually take a second policy to cover the uh, 
the cost to defend because hiring a lawyer to represent you uh, can get expensive real fast. Yeah, good point, John. And uh, as I close every show, please, if you're going to go flying, do a very thorough job of pre-planning. The planning starts before you leave your house. You do it there. You do it again at the airport. Cover the weather here, there, and everything in between. You know, make sure you have plan B. If I lose an engine on takeoff, we're going to, I've got a whole list of things to to cover in this when we get to do the show on uh, pre-flight planning. Uh, But also, when you get out to your airplane, do a thorough pre-flight inspection. Uh, This week, we had several uh, emails from listeners that mentioned that they now take a longer and harder look at their airplanes before they go because they've heard us over and over and over driving this point home. The time to find the flaws with your airplanes are when you're sitting on the tarmac, (laughs) not when you're 50 feet off the ground. So please take a good long look at your airplane. If you don't feel like you're competent to do that, Get somebody else, that, that uh, a mechanic that works on the airplane, anybody uh, that's knowledgeable, another pilot that flies more often than you do, whatever, get, get to know your airplane. And then after you get in the air, please, please fly safely. Put that head of yours on a swivel, guys, because we think that, that possibly this, this uh, guy didn't have his head on the swivel. He may have been heads down. But you got to keep your head moving. you got to keep your eyes scanning the horizon constantly for that off chance that you might be able to pick up the movement and avoid something like this. So please fly safely. To listen or watch more episodes of this show, go to FlightSafetyDetectives.com, the Flight Safety Detectives YouTube channel, or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. To contact John and Greg about the show, send them an email at flightsafetydetectives at gmail.com. And remember, for aviation insurance needs, contact Avemco Insurance at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-879-0389. Mention Flight Safety Detectives and receive a 5% discount. Thanks for listening to the Flight Safety Detectives, and remember to always fly safe.